Hey everyone, it's Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat. Today's DevOps Chat is breaking some big news from our friends at Sonatype. I'm really honored and happy to be joined by Sonatype CEO Wayne Jackson and Sonatype CF, uh, CTO Brian Fox. I hope I didn't mess that up, guys. Wayne, Brian, welcome. Thanks. Thank you, Alan. Great to be, great to be with you and, and great to be speaking again. Yeah, well, Wayne, you and I go back just a couple of years. Um, <laughs> let's not go and do a history thing. Let, let's get right to the breaking news today. And that is uh, kind of a major addition to the Sonatype. I know it's a firewall. Do you still call it Nexus Firewall, or is there a name, different name for it now? Yes, we, yeah, that's, that's correct. It is the Nexus Firewall. So before we talk about what the major addition is, let, let's lay a ground lay a little groundwork here. What is the Nexus Firewall? Brian, you're, you're the CTO. Let's, let's give that one to you. All right, sure. Nexus Firewall is a set of capabilities that allow us to do analysis of components as you pull them into your supply chain through your, your repository and, uh, and be able to match that against your policies to enforce things like architecture, quality, license, et cetera. And so specifically, it's intended to be able to stop components from coming into your supply chain when they're known to be against your policy right up front. So you can stop developers from pulling in a, vulner uh, a component that has a known vulnerability or pulling in a component that has an incompatible license, those types of things. So that's, that's the role firewall plays in the overall portfolio. Perfect. And, and, and you know, let's be clear that, that you know, a Nexus firewall if it's in place, the Equifax breach never happens for all, you know, for all intents and purposes. Well, that, that um, might be wrong. What it, what it doesn't do, you know, it, it's not, it's not going to go back and take out the things you've already integrated. You've already put in, you're right. Right, certainly. If, if, you know, we still see lots of cases. I think we've done some of the, the, the uh, studies recently that show organizations are still downloading <laughs> the same thing that got Equifax attacked, right? Absolutely. Of struts. So firewall would definitely stop that behavior, uh, no doubt, and, and be able to prevent it from further propagating through your, your supply chain. And just a little shout out, Equifax is now a, a Nexus, a Sonatype Nexus customer, correct? Yeah, yes, that's, that's correct. correct. So... Hopefully, well, at least it'll prevent the next one, hopefully. So, but guys, so we, we, we understand what Nexus Firewall is now. And, and again, to put in context the importance of today's announcement, Nexus Firewall worked when you were pulling components out of the Nexus repository up until now. Am I, am I right or am I off base here, guys? No, that's correct. And, and so the big news today is you're expanding beyond the Nexus repository uh, to offer protection from artifacts and, and code and so forth from other repositories. That's right. It's, it's, you know, it's an acknowledgement and maybe the first one um, you know, in this category that just acknowledges that, that the DevOps world is, is heterogeneous. You know, they're, <clears throat> bunches of vendors and, 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 you know, people within organizations make different decisions and, um, and we just acknowledge the need to provide universal protection. Absolutely. So Wayne, work with me here. 
we, we it, it's it's the Nexus repository, and with this new release out today, you guys are also announcing support and protection for the uh, Artifactory repository, correct? That's correct. And, yeah, and, and, and between those two, it, you know, I'm not sure what the coverage is, but it's got to be in the 90s percentile um, of implemented repositories. I, I would agree with you. I think between Artifactory and, and Nexus, it, it's got to be, I would say, high 90s even, right? We're not talking 91 or 92 percent. I, I think it's probably way up there. And it's certainly in the billions when you look at the, uh, the amount of whether it be code or components or, or artifacts that are that are contained between the two of them. And Wayne, you hit on it before about the heterogeneous nature of today's DevOps world. It, it really is. It's become Artifactory and Nexus is the two big ones. But there's another aspect to the heterogeneous nature of, of, of today's DevOps world, and that is this whole notion of the software development lifecycle, managing the software pipeline, the modern software factory, uh, different companies are calling it different things, but it all refers to the kind of the way that software is being both written and assembled in by you know modern IT departments today. Why don't you guys expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I you know it, it's it's been fascinating to watch. As you know, I came from the network security world uh, before Sonatype and had no grasp of just how much software was being written. Um, as, as you, I'm sure you know, you know, one of the assets that we manage in the ecosystem is this thing called Maven Central. Um, and last year we, we served 142 billion download requests. Um, and, and so, and that's just in the Java ecosystem and, you know, other ecosystems like NPM are, are just as big. Um, and so, as we started looking at the patterns in these download requests, we started to see this weird disconnect. You know, the, the disclosure of a vulnerability had almost no impact on usage patterns. And that led us to, to thinking about, you know, how, why that might be and how we might think about solving these problems more systematically. Um, and it dawned on us that we had a massive supply chain problem, you know, <clears throat> Yeah. And, and, you know, where, where the producers of things didn't have a very effective mechanism for communicating to the consumers of those things because there were just millions and millions of projects that had to be monitored. Um, and so, you know, we started looking at the works of Edwards Deming, who was the guy that transformed Toyota from being a textile manufacturer to the world's most efficient automobile producer. Um, and it really wasn't all that complicated. It's, it, you know, you have, you know, fewer, better suppliers, use the highest quality parts, maintain transparency throughout the system, and don't pass defects downstream. If you can do those four things, lo and behold, <laughs> producing cars becomes a lot easier. And, you know, we concluded that those exact same principles applied perfectly to software, where, you know, to your point, you know, now all of a sudden these software development functions especially in the more modern uh, organizations look like a software factory. And so let's use fewer, pro better projects. Let's use the versions of those projects that don't have security defects, that have the kind of license that matches our distribution model. Uh, and, you know, let's, let's build a model where we know <laughs> what's in the system. Uh, and if along the, the 
software factory assembly line, we discover that there's an issue, stop it there. You know, don't pass it downstream. Uh, so anyway, so it's, it's a model, you know, I'm a little bit of a car guy, so it's, it certainly works for me, but it feels like a model that, that that's right. I, I agree. I absolutely does. And, and, and even before you mentioned Deming, and then of course, it's obvious, I, I was thinking it's, it's third-party suppliers, just like we, we do see in the automobile industry. But what's interesting, Wayne, is, is as you referenced, the, 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 the sheer magnitude of the numbers here, you know, $142 billion. Think about what that means. I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible amount of, of downloads of usage and everything else. And, and you know, it, it doesn't take many bad, bad apples to, to, to spoil the party for everyone, obviously. Um, you know what's interesting, though, guys, again, getting back to the DevOps community, to the DevOps market today, Sonatype is very much... You, you know who you are, what, it seems to me anyway. You know who you are, what you are, where you play, and how you fit into this. I, I, and I think that's in contrast to, a, you know, we're in a little bit of a time of upheaval in the DevOps spaces as the market matures and vendors are jostling and trying to, I, I think some of them might, you know, even be going through an awkward teenage phase, you know, where they're trying to figure out who they are and what they're going to be when they grow up. You know, what, what, Wayne, you're the CEO there. What, what's the vision for Sonatype? Are you, are you kind of comfortable in your own skin now? And, and what is that role? Yeah, I, I, I think we are comfortable in our skin. I think this embrace of software supply chain management um, is who we are. It's who we're going to be. Um, it's sort of a unique position to take uh, in, in the DevOps category. Um, and it allows us to play very nicely with um, the vendors that are all a part of the assembly line, you know, whether it's Artifactory or CloudBees um, or any of the other vendors. Um, and, and so um, being able to produce information that gets translated into knowledge that, you know, automates decision making uh, with regard to, to supply chain integrity, um, I think is a good spot for us. I, I, I agree. I mean, and not only is it a good spot, I, I, I think it's a pivotal role to play as, as this, you know, as we see the continued maturation of the market and it, you know, it's all wrapped around the digital transformation and everything going on. Brian, you know, your background, you were, you know, you were an early chair of the Maven project. You've been in this open source uh you know, world for some time, and, and Wayne did do coming from the source fire snort folks. But you know, what's your take as we as we see this, you know, maturation? I mean, at some level, it's got to be. I would imagine it's got to be encouraging to see cross, like you know, being able to protect across different repositories, whether it be Maven and Java or artifacts or, or what have you. Right, it's kind of it's going to feel like we're making progress. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, our approach since we kind of went down this path, what uh, twenty twelve or so, is to 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 take an approach that sits above all of the tools because you know we we recognized from the early days when we were doing a lot of Maven training and consulting 
and we we had the, the privilege i guess to go to companies and see lots of horrifying processes and and all the ways in which attempts to make this better inadvertently made things worse um and we recognize that it, it requires a sort of across the life cycle approach which means you, you can't you can't solve the problem just by adding features to you know the repository or the ci and frankly given that we were building nexus repo pro back then uh, i mean we still are but that was our main product back then adding it as features on top of the repo would have been the most natural thing for us to do but we understood through all of that that learning that that wasn't going to be sufficient it required integration to the repo and to the CI and to the build and to the release automation tools, et cetera, et cetera, right? To be able to most effectively nuance um, the, the process of the components that flow through that because you may, you may choose to respond to a policy violation differently when something is about to actually be pushed into production versus something that's just happening in your, you know, on every commit CI build. And, um, and so for that reason, being able to integrate into all of these tools, including all of the different repos, is, is just natural. Uh, it's, it's the natural evolution of the approach that we've been taking the whole time. Got it. Um, so I, I, I guess the next question is, now that we have, you know, between the two repositories, we've got high 90% of the market. How do we get how do we get ninety percent coverage with with this firewall product, right? I think we'd all sleep better. You know what what is the key, guys, to getting more people to realize this is kind of a no brainer that they need to get done here, right? I mean, what what do you think is preventing us from really seeing this culture, culture and okay. history? I think there there's um. I think there, there's a history of application security tools specifically that um, you know were prone to false positives just by the way they worked, and and led and a history of bad approaches like I was talking about before that tried to force bad tools onto development that ultimately led to rebellion or disuse and 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 gear grinding, and so in some ways the, the security tribe I think has become a little bit afraid to engage development in a lot of organizations, right? So they, they very much try to work at the end of the process, try to produce lists. Um, we know that those things tend to get ignored, that they don't usually have a, a profound effect on what's happening. And so the organizations that are really successful are the ones that, you know, can set all of that history aside and still work together in a DevSecOps type of way and, and, you know, look at the problem holistically and understand that, yeah, actually, it makes sense. If we can stop the bad things from coming into the process to start with, we don't have to chase them out later. The security guys don't have to track it in the list and the dev guys don't have to go rework it. Right. And so, you know, that that's kind of the approach that we've been trying to take that that all of these different um, constituents have an important job to play in the success of a business. And it works best when they're all working together, not working against each other and throwing uh, grenades over the walls. And Absolutely. so really, you know, the biggest hurdle to adoption in most places just simply is that, that culture and the history of, of disdain and things like that. I, I agree, Brian. And, and guys, I'm going to tell you something. This is, here's a private theory that I've been working on. I'm going to be speaking about it, I think, in the months ahead. In, 
you know, we've worked really hard, Sonatype more, more than most any other vendor I can think of, to advance the cause of DevSecOps. You know, Derek and Mark on your team and myself have been putting on DevSecOps events at RSA for the last five years now. And we do it in Singapore at RSA. And we go all over the world with this DevSecOps thing. And recently, in the last couple of months, I'm starting to see sort of a bifurcation in, in how security is dealing with DevSecOps, right? I'm seeing some companies that are embracing the dev side of things, the dev sides of things, and, and let's call that DevSec. They're working with developers to make the code more secure and make sure that pre-deployment, everything is tested, everything is secure, and, and we release really tight, good quality, right? Security is synonymous with quality. And let's call that DevSec. Then there's another group of vendors, Brian, that are dead into what you're talking about, right? They're almost afraid, intimidated, or just fed up with dealing with developers. And they're really focusing on the post-deployment aspect of things here, right? And let's call that SecOps because they want to work more with the ops folks, post-deployment, you know, monitoring and, and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that there's not a reason to do that or it's not right to do that. It absolutely is. But when we start looking at it as, as DevSec and SecOps, we're committing the same mistakes that we did to begin with. And, and we're losing that. It is DevSecOps for a reason. It's Dev and Ops and Sec all working together. We we can't we can't say, oh, we're gonna work with the ops guys, but not the dev guys, or vice versa. It's gotta be everyone's in it to win it. And and I Comple completely agree. I but I'm yeah, but I'm seeing security vendors now kind of you know, taking sides here on this. I, I recently done a few podcasts and some of them are new companies that are launching or coming out of stealth at RSA. And they're, they're drawing this distinction that they're SecOps, not DevSecOps, or they're DevSec, not DevSec. And I think it's a huge mistake. Huge mistake. Well, I think that's largely led by the constituent. If, if you go and talk to the security guys, that's what they're going to tell you that they want, right? It's part of that history. Um, you know, so if you if you allow yourselves to be pulled directly in the direction of what people want based on their perceived understanding of just how things work and that's the way it's always going to be, that's I think where you end up. I think you have to buck that trend a little bit and say, guys, it doesn't have to be this way. It can be better, but we have to work together to do it, right? And we have to think about things a little bit differently, um, you know. And 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 I have many conversations. You know, it's it's happening more and more as AppSec and OpSec is becoming more generally aware of the open source component, you know, risk. They're starting to come at the problem, and but unfortunately, they're just trying to add more data to their existing process. And I have to remind those guys all the time that developers are picking new components all the time. They're picking new versions of those components all the time. They're not only doing it because you handed them a list of vulnerable components or a list of CVEs and said, fix it or else. Right. So wouldn't it be nice if you had a process and a set of tools that could support them in that behavior so they don't come on your list later? <laughs> right. And, it, and, yeah. and a lot of times that that is like a shocking realization to that tribe. Right. And that that's that culture that I was talking about. Um, Agreed. That, it's a big challence. Agreed. And, and, and look, 
our work is not done, right? That's what that means to me. We we still have more work to do evangelizing DevSecOps and making sure people under take the whole holistic aspect to it in in and 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 it goes back to Wayne what you were talking about in terms of the pipeline and the and the software, you know, automation and, and pipeline kind of thing, is it, it's not it's not bifurcated at the pre-deployment versus post-deployment uh, juncture or junction. It, 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 DevSecOps is, had, you know, is about the whole thing from end to end. Yeah, the organizations that can think about this holistically are just bound to be more effective and more efficient. And mm-hmm. and and you know, to your point about evangelism, I mean, one of the things that we're going to see, and and I think we are seeing, is that the most highly performant organizations are the ones that are getting it. Yeah. Um, they're the ones that are going to be leveraging software to more effectively differentiate their business. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and at some point, unless you want to lose you're going to have to start thinking about the ways that these, you know, forward thinking uh, advanced organizations are, are doing what they do to make themselves better every day. Absolutely. And, and, and you'll have winners and losers and, and look, that's, that's capitalism and that's the market dynamics of play, right? You, you can adapt or, or die or, or not, right? I mean, it's up to you guys. We, we, we've spent a lot of time talking, you know, about this at a macro level. Ryan, if you don't mind, I, I'd like to get a little geeky on you and, and ask if you can explain to our audience at a nuts and bolts level, really what's going on with the Nexus firewall. It's software, right? It's not an appliance per se. Where does it sit? How does it intercept? How do you set policies in it? You know what I'm saying? Let, let's give yeah, our sure. audience a little bit of a... So, so our, our Nexus platform um, is, is kind of composed of maybe three parts. At, at the core is a piece of software that you run on-prem or in your cloud um, that we call the IQ server. And this is the thing where you define your policies. It's the database of all of the components and which applications are used in, the dashboarding, the reporting, you know, all of that type of stuff occurs within the IQ server. The IQ server works with uh, services that we have in our cloud to provide the real-time information around the components and the security and the licensing and all that type of stuff, right? So that's a that's a real-time feed. It's not a, a data dump that you have to download periodically. And then there's all of the plugins, the plugins that go into all of the places I mentioned before, your build, your IDE, your CI, your repository, your automation tools, um, et cetera, right? And, and so what we're talking about here is we've added a new, uh, a new plugin that plugs into JFrog Artifactory. So when um, a component is being proxied from an external repo, such as Maven Central, um, it, it, the plugin will do the analysis of the thing being requested. It will uh, understand what it is, work with the IQ server to understand if it's in compliance with the policy or not. And then depending on how the policy is configured, it can either uh, allow it, it can quarantine it, or it can just outright block it, right? So um, that's the same capability that we've had for a couple of years now inside of the Nexus repository. So it, it, it replicates that functionality for our JFrog users. Fantastic. Um, Wayne, how, how are we going to market with this? 
Um, I get that that question asked me a fair bit, um, and we have a very um, uh, uh, multifaceted go-to-market model. Um, you know, we still have folks uh, that are very senior out in key regions that are evangelizing because this is still an immature market. Uh, but increasingly, as the market's maturing, <clears throat> are starting to lead with product and product capabilities and, and our marketing function. Uh, so a mixed model, um, but uh, but one that we think aligns with uh, where the market is in terms of its maturity, um, you know, that will change over time. Understood. Um, guys, we're, we're, we're almost out of time. I, I, if, if it's okay, I wanted to return back to the DevOps market in general. Wayne, you know, you and I kind of saw the security industry mushroom, right, from, let, let's say, early 2000s through even 2008, 9, 10, you know. Um, I, and we now have both, have both seen the DevOps market mushroom, you know, from 2013, 14 to, to today. It's only been four or five years. And, and you know, we, we touched on it earlier with, with companies trying to kind of jostle for where they are, what they do, and, and where how they fit into this brave new world. If, if you know, put on your visionary hat, if you will. Where, where do you, where's this going? Where is it, you know, what, what, is there a logical sort of conjunction of security in the DevOps? And if so, what does that mean for the broader market? What do you think? Um, I disagree with you a little bit in that um, it, it, with regard to DevOps having mushroomed. Um, I think we in the industry kind of feel like it has because now all of a sudden people are starting to use our words back at us. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, DevSecOps being a mainstream thing that's just a part of how people work um, is still a bit away. And, and I think, you know, the work that, that you're doing, I think the work that we're doing and other vendors in this space is still enormously critical because um, even organizations that aspire to DevSecOps uh, still need help. It's not an easy thing to embrace and implement, as you know. Um, and so there's still some work to do, which I think is cool. Yeah. Well, well it, it keeps me going every day. It gets me up. And, and you're right. You know, we, we tend to forget that we live in a bubble. When, when, you, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right? And, and <laughs> right. when you're talking DevSecOps all the time, people tend not to look at you and say, what are you talking about? So, so you, you know, we, we, we kind of breathe our own exhaust, if you will. But there is this, there's a lot of work to be done. Even forget DevSecOps, even at the basic DevOps level, right? When you, a lot of companies have dabbled in DevOps, but how many are truly end-to-end -end DevOps, right? And, and that number, I'm going to guess as well is below 20%, probably closer to 10%. I think you're right. And, I think uh, you're right. Yeah. So our work is still in front of us, but hey, you know what? What It wouldn't be fun if it wasn't, right? I mean, that's what, it, what keeps us. <laughs> anyway, guys, when, when is this new plugin for Nexus Firewall available? Um, more or less now. Uh, okay. I think the official release date is March 1st, but, but, uh, but uh, yeah, Happy to happy to um, to show it to anyone who's curious to see and and um, and very proud of the technology. Absolutely, and and they can get more information at sonatype.com. That's right. 
Fantastic. Wayne Jackson, Brian Fox, CEO and CTO, co-founder of Sonatype, respectively. Thanks for being our guest on this episode of DevOps Chat. Thank you, Alan. It's been our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure. Always a great time, guys. Okay, this is Alan Schimmel for DevOps.com. You've just listened to another DevOps Chat. Have a great day, everyone. 